Yo, what's up? This is Ty from Breaker Culture, and this is episode 68 of Breaker Culture Weekly. Welcome to Breaker Culture Weekly. The guys from BreakerCulture.com help pull back the curtains and give you insight into the hobby. Sit back and enjoy interviews, product breakdowns, and hobby analysis so you can get your edge in the marketplace. And now, to the show. All right, excited to dive into the episode today. If you are a sports card analytics or investor or you just like figuring out the edge to different players and different approaches when you're spending money on cards and you're flipping and all that fun stuff that we, we tend to talk about a lot on Breaker Culture here, then you're going to like the guest today, a gentleman named Jeff Wilson. No, we are not related. Jeff, who is the founder and the host of Sports Card Investor, a YouTube show and, and a podcast, and he's doing a great, great job. Look, there's a, there's a lot of things that we share in terms of logic and our approach to investing in cards but there's a lot of things I can learn from him too. So his background is outstanding. He has a very unique and diverse background when it comes to investing in businesses. And it absolutely applies when he's looking at investing in cards. And so he's a super intelligent guy. You're going to get a whole lot from our hour and 15 minute conversation today. I can promise you, can promise you that. Man, we are on a roll with our interviews. I hope you're liking the, uh, the season three so far. We have four more interviews already ready to go. They're teed up and they'll be coming out every three or four days over the next two weeks to wrap up our season three. So thank you so much for listening. Now, here's the deal. We have a couple things you need to know about. Number one, we are giving away a box of cards, a a box of 2019 Donruss Optic Baseball. I have it right here in hand. We're going to give it away to a random reviewer that fills out a review for us between episode 68, this one, and our episode 69 coming out later this week. So uh, yeah, go fill out a review. You can fill it out on, on iTunes, you can fill it out on Stitcher, you can fill it out in CastBox, whatever you use to listen to your, your podcast, fill out that review. I'll grab all the usernames and we'll randomize that at the beginning of episode 69 for a uh, for one of you awesome listeners. Second thing, you have until Thursday, NFL kickoff to go enter our investment competition. You got to go do it because we're giving away a case of football cards for the winner. And we also have prizes for second and third place too. All you have to do is pick five players who you think rook the rookie cards are going to increase in value between week one and week 17 of this season. So uh, go do that. I have a, a link to the YouTube video. It's a quick three-minute uh, overview of the, the contest. So please do that. We'd love to have you compete. It's free to enter. We just want to just help put another uh, platform together for you guys to see what uh, what investing in cards looks like uh, over the course of a season and also kind of see what some of you others are, are doing when it comes to picking players. So again, do it on the forum, do it on YouTube, but most of all, have a good time. And really, guys, enjoy this interview with Jeff. I think you're going to like it. And uh, please leave feedback and fill out your review. Have a great week. How you doing, man? Good, Ty. I'm doing great, man. It's great to talk to you. Yeah, good to talk to you too. Glad we can. I've been, set this I've been up. a fan of the show for a while. Uh, you know, I got back into sports card collecting and investing uh, late last year, and uh, found your podcast early on, and uh, binged listened <laughs> to a ton of episodes. So uh, 
your podcast is actually really one of the things that uh, got me intrigued about going deeper uh, into the hobby this time around, uh, and especially from an investment standpoint, because uh, I loved that angle that you took on a lot of your shows. It really got my wheels turning in, in terms of in, in you know in terms of what's possible. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm flattered. Thank you. <laughs> hey, I, I love you the it's binge great. listening. So <laughs> binge listening. Um, right on, man. Are you in Florida? Is that where you're based? I'm in Atlanta. I've got a company. We've got offices in Florida. Okay. Uh, from Gainesville. From uh, started my company in Gainesville, Florida. From Sarasota, Florida, originally, but uh, moved to Atlanta. Moved our headquarters up here about five years ago, um, and uh, love Atlanta. Great, great place to be. Traffic's easy right there's never any traffic that, that's what i've always heard <laughs> that's the reputation man and it's 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 true atlanta's got some traffic challenges but i live uh, right in the city and if you live in the city and you work in the city you actually don't hit any of that so mm -hmm. that that thankfully i i avoid that but a lot of people don't yeah yeah absolutely well i know right before this started we were talking about our, our uh our alliances in the college football world. You're a Florida guy. You were just at the game this weekend, right? You, you yeah, I win. was. I'm a big Florida Gator fan. I somehow survived and got the win against Miami. It was not <laughs> the best start by any means. I was expecting us to come out a little bit crisper in our second season under Mullen, and uh, but we didn't. Uh, but nonetheless, we held on, won mm -hmm. the game. So fingers crossed. This should hopefully be a good year for us. Yeah, well, we're definitely going to have to put some at least a box of cards on the Missouri Florida game this year. We're gonna have to do I like, like it. <laughs> and and, I, I'm, totally and I'm glad I'm only, I'm glad this will be the first year we're doing it because you guys got the better of us the last two. So that's right. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad we didn't start that bet a couple years back. Third time's not a charm, I'm sure. Um, that's awesome. Well, cool, man. Well, I'm excited to dive into this. You, you're doing a lot of neat stuff on the investing. And I'm going to, I'm going to use the word investing because that's, that's in your name, right? Sports card. It's a controversial word. In this <laughs> I know, industry, right? I know. Good, good, goodness gracious. Yeah. People, people in the hobby, uh, it's you know it's an interesting mix though there are there's a a there's a large contingent of people who actually really do want to talk about the hobby from an investment standpoint and really do look at it as you know hey how can I make a few bucks on this guy or that guy mm -hmm. um, but then you've also got the contingent of people who are like hey this is a hobby this is for fun mm -hmm. uh, this is not meant to be an investment vehicle and we do not need people getting into the hobby who are you know treating it as an investment so. Mm -hmm. Look, I, I respect their viewpoint. I mean, I, you know, I get it, but that's, uh, you know, I, my standpoint, I, I'm a business guy by trade. And, you know, honestly, when I got back into the hobby last year, I got into it because my son is old enough now where he wanted to start collecting. Hmm. And uh, about a year ago, he um, came home with a pack of football cards after he was visiting my grandmother's house. And I was looking at it and I'm like, man, they still make these things, <laughs> you know? And, and I said to him, I'm like, dude, I got about 15,000 of these in my closet. And no, so then of course he, nice. he wanted to see him. I pulled him out. You know, I was a huge collector mm -hmm. uh, in the junk wax era, right? Late eighties, early nineties and, and actually held on to all the cards. Um, but I hadn't, I literally had not cracked open the, the all the cards that I had since probably like I don't know 92 93 is probably the last time I had ever looked at them mm -hmm. and so I brought them all out and you know we went through them it was a ton of fun and then it kind of got me interested in you know we took him he wanted to go buy some more so mm -hmm. I I didn't even know where to go get them you know so I um I actually took him to CVS 
And I said, you guys sell, uh, you know, football cards. And they looked at me <laughs> sideways. So then I'm like, I'm like, you know what? Who's, you know who's going to sell them? GameStop. I bet GameStop's going to sell them because, you know, they're into Pokemon and that stuff. So I go to GameStop and I'm like, hey, where are your football cards? And they're like, oh, we don't carry that. And I'm like, well, where the heck do you get these things? So we went to Target. Sure enough, football cards. So, you know, and, and then so we started buying some of the sets. It kind of got me back into the whole thing. But then being a business person, this I started to look at these things and I'm like, man, this is different than it was when we were a kid. And I started I started just seeing the business and investment opportunity all over it. So I love it. I love yeah. it. Your street cred's going it's flying through the roof right now. Going to GameStop looking for cards. I love it. <laughs> we tried, man. We tried. Well, you know, he was in a Pokemon for like two or three years prior to that. He he's he's eight. He got into Pokemon when he was like, I don't know, like six and and so for uh uh for like two Christmases, all he wanted was Pokemon cards. Mm -hmm. We bought we bought this kid hundreds of dollars of Pokemon cards, and then one day he comes home from school and announces that Pokemon cards are no longer cool, and uh, he wants to get into uh, you know sports cards instead. So it's like, all right. Uh, so I know we you know we used to go to GameStop for Pokemon, so yep. that's where I assumed we'd go for football, but no, apparently not. That's awesome. That's awesome. I got. Uh... Out of my six kids, I got two that are into Pokemon and a couple that are into sports cards. So yeah, I come, I'm dealing with the mix right now. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. So so talk a little bit about your non-sports card background because that, that's what intrigued me the first time I saw one of your videos was that you I mean, you have a pretty diverse business background, specifically in the investing side. Kind of give me the primer. Yeah. yeah so uh, I'm an entrepreneur entrepreneur by heart. Mm -hmm. I started my first company while I was in high school. Um, started a uh, computer store at a shopping mall in Sarasota. Um, and uh, we did, you know, early, early days of the internet. We, mm -hmm. we were building websites, getting people, getting people connected to the internet in their homes and building websites for businesses. Uh, and this was back in 95. So this was, wow. you know, real early internet days. Mm. Uh, went off to college at the University of Florida, had to obviously leave the computer store because it was a physical store in Sarasota. Actually had some other high school students take it over and continue to run it for a couple of years, which was cool. Um, <laughs> but when I got to college, first year, I really just had a good time, you know, uh, joined a fraternity, had fun. But then second year was really kind of getting the entrepreneurial itch again and mm -hmm. tried to figure out a business that I could start while in school and decided uh, website development uh, because you know it was something i could do outside of class hours um and uh 1997 there are tons of businesses just starting to think about getting online for the very first time um so i started a company called 352 and uh, have been at it ever since we've uh today we have 60 something employees um offices in uh three cities tampa gainesville and atlanta um, and so I, I run that day to day, but then also, you know, throughout that path, um, have focused on startup investing, have started, uh, actually have started a total of nine companies over the course of that time and, um, have had, uh, as well as invested in several other startups, um, a mentor with Techstars and Atlanta Tech Village and a lot of the tech programs. So I get exposed to a lot of early stage startup investing opportunities. I've had some really big hits doing that and have had some big losses as well, hmm. uh, have learned more from the losses than from the hits. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been a fun ride. So, that's awesome. uh, yeah, I'm assuming the three, five, two is an area code in Florida. Is it that right? Is. Okay. That's right. It's the area code in Gainesville. So we, and up here in uh, Georgia bulldog country, uh, we get, 
we get new clients all the time and they don't know what 352 stands for because you know <laughs> they're not familiar with the florida area codes and we'll be working with them for a couple of months and then finally they'll ask you know hey what does 352 stand for I'm like, oh, it's the area code in Gainesville, Florida, go Gators. <laughs> <laughs> nice. They look at me sideways, but you know. Subliminal messages. I like yep. it. Can't yep. avoid it. Um, that's interesting. What, so what was the most, or what has been the most interesting business you've invested in? Um, so, well, <laughs> uh, I totally non-tech related, whereas everything else I have done has mm -hmm. been in tech. But I started three Ben & Jerry's ice cream stores um, <laughs> nice. in, uh, in Gainesville, Florida. <laughs> Uh, right around the University of Florida campus. Uh, so we, I had a little ice cream empire going for several years <laughs> there. Um, and that was a lot of fun. I got to go up to uh, Burlington, where Ben & Jerry's is headquartered. Um, I got to I got to know both Ben and Jerry. In fact, had Jerry down to Gainesville to go to a Gator game with me. Um, and uh, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. They're, it's a great company to be associated with. They're super progressive and uh, doing a lot of great, you know, work, social work and, and, um, and their brand's really fun. And That's so awesome. I, yeah, it was really neat, hmm. really great experience getting to do that. Yeah. What's the profit margin like in ice cream? Not good. Really? Not good. Do not do it. Do not do it. Everyone listening, do not start an ice cream <laughs> shop. Do not start, do not start a coffee shop, which I also did. Um, do not like any, the, the, the problem with that type of store, and this is true with a lot of quick service food concepts um, mm -hmm. is that you're, you're completely dependent on an extremely high volume of traffic to be able to make profit because your, your average sale is only four or five bucks. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about it, people are coming and getting an ice cream cone, you know, you try to upsell them to the Sunday or the milkshake or whatnot, but you really have a lot of four or $5 transactions per person. And so, you know, your, your margin on that isn't, isn't great um but you know whatever your whatever couple of bucks you're getting off of that transaction think how many times you have to do that transaction in order to cover payroll in order mm -hmm. to cover rents in order to cover everything right um and so it's a total total volume game and if you are not in a spot where you just have a tremendous amount of uh really foot traffic in front of your location you're gonna you're not gonna do it like if you're mm -hmm. just in an average retail strip mall your ice cream store is not gonna make it it's not gonna make anything it's gonna be a it's you're gonna end up um you're gonna end up basically creating a job for yourself that you're gonna get paid very little for and then the other problem with food is that especially ice cream you gain a lot of weight man and your 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 busiest <laughs> time your, you got the the your busiest times are the hours when you least want to work uh right? that makes sense saturday nights uh you know friday nights sunday nights um, Thursday nights, those are your busiest nights of the week and stuff inevitably goes wrong. Mm. Um, you know, employees don't show up, uh, you know, you have equipment failures and your ice cream melts and this is just ice cream and ice cream is honestly more simple than most quick service food because you, you're dealing there with, you know, more opportunity for spoilage and, 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 you know, things to happen. Um, and, but yeah, man, the number of phone calls that I would get at two 30 in the morning when they're trying to you know, close up the store on a Saturday night and oh, the cash register is not balancing or the freezer's malfunctioning or whatnot, it, it drains you. Um, and it, you know, if you were making, if you were banking, you know, 500,000 bucks a year off that store, uh, you might be a little more willing to put up with the, you know, the Saturday right. night AM calls. But when you're, you know, barely trying to scrape by and make like 50 K a year off the store, um, you know, which is, uh, you know, kind of typical for office mm. store like that. 
um, that's not a, you know, it, 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 uh, there's better ways to make money. Sure. Sure. Would you consider sports cards kind of a, a sports card shop, a true hobby shop kind of in that world where volume is, is most is paramount? I mean, I would think so. Yeah. Mm. For a local, for a local card shop. Sure. I think that you've, I mean, obviously I think you've got to diversify and, and have other mechanisms of selling your product and really online, you got to expose yourself to a bigger audience. I would, I would think, and yeah. I, I've not run a local card store, so I don't know the economics, but based upon what I perceive the markup to be on retail product that they're selling, um, you know, I think you've got to have channels to really get your revenue a lot well beyond what just the traffic to your local store can sure. provide um or i don't think you're going to really make enough to you know make it any any type of any type of significant gain you know obviously getting into the breaker game um you know that and getting the online presence going there that can do it uh you know if you you know trying trying to be an online retailer like obviously you know in uh, steel city or some of the big ones like that you know there's opportunity there um you know a lot of people have gone really big in the ebay world um, you know, we've actually got a great local card shop in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and and the guy there, he's done wonderful, for, wonderful for himself. Um, Joe Davis uh, gotbaseballcards.com, and hmm. he's got over a million cards on eBay. Over a million. Um, he's got a like a twelve thousand square foot warehouse here in Atlanta, store and warehouse, um, and uh, he's done great. Uh, you know, being able to expand his business way beyond retail and and you know really really be dominant online. Hmm. That's awesome. I love hearing stuff like that. Yeah. So now, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time now. What's um, kind of on the flip side, the positive side? What qualities do you look for in businesses then, when you're looking to acquire a business now? What is it? What are the one or two things that you are non-negotiables for you now? Well. To, first of all, I, I product, not service. So 352 hmm. is a service company. We build, you know, we build websites and, and mm-hmm. uh, we do uh, digital marketing work and, and early stage innovation work for other companies. But as a service provider, you're only able to make a markup above what you pay your people. There's a, there's a margin there, right? It's like, I pay my people this amount and then every hour they work for a client, I'm billing the client this amount. Right. So there's some, there's some form of markup on your people, which means that the only way to really expand and grow your business is to hire more people. You can't, you know, if you, if you, you can't take on more and more projects without hiring more and more people, you're forced into that. Mm. The nice thing about service-based businesses is they're easy to get started with low upfront capital and mm. relatively low risk. Service businesses have a greater chance of success because of the fact that really at first it's you providing the service and if you can you know get enough customers then you're in business and then if you can get more customers you're going to hire a second person a third person a fourth person so the risk of failure is relatively low but the scaling of it is really difficult and and tough product based businesses on the other hand more upfront investment which is which can be you know problematic higher failure rate because you're having to build this product out before you know 100% for certain if there's an audience that is is truly going to buy it and, and turn you into a sustainable business. But if you are successful and you start to scale, profit margins are way higher because mm. you can have more and more people buy your product and not and not have to necessarily hire, you know, a, a ton of additional people. Um, and specifically, I, I do all online businesses at this point, all tech, mainly SaaS, you know, software as a service businesses. So those online things you subscribe to, you know, um, where you're oh, yeah. paying some sort of monthly subscription fee for some sort of online, you know, website. Um, those are the types of businesses that, uh, that you know, I, I mainly concentrate on these days. Love it. 
you know your stuff. <laughs> I love it. You're passionate about it. You can just it's flowing out of you. But um, and I'm passionate. I'm equally as passionate now about sports cars. Let's talk. Let's it. talk about that, since most audiences care more about that. Um, so, what, so what moment were you when you were buying cars with your son? You were starting to collect some more. At what moment did you realize that? Oh my goodness, there there is some opportunity here for investment. Like the, this marketplace is is lucrative. When did the, you the realize that? It was the moment that I realized that the manufacturers had learned some lessons from the era of overprinting and that they had introduced scarcity into products and that by way of introducing scarcity into products, they're controlling the supply and therefore they're able to create a environment where demand will exceed supply on an ongoing basis and therefore that will keep prices high. And when you have that kind of environment created, you have the potential to invest and to you know see appreciation. Now that is not true with every set of cards, obviously. And I, I am concerned about overprinting potentially occurring right now with certain with certain brands. But when you get to the upper end cards, if you take like for example a national treasures in basketball or football, um, you know, if you look at just the core national treasures RPAs, which are you mm -hmm. know printed to 99, as soon as I saw that and I said, okay, these are the cards that people lust after in those sports. And they are serial number to 99. They are, you know, they're, they're recognized by all to be kind of the key rookie card. Those cards are gonna hold value. Those cards are gonna increase in value. And it, you know, it's not just true at the top end of the market. I think, I think other things that have introduced, you know, some scarcity into the market, you have things obviously like um, autos. And I know that, you know, players can sign a lot of autographs, but, mm -hmm. Autographs add a form of scarcity because ultimately your best players are only going to sign a certain number of autographs per year because it's right. a pain in the butt to them, right? Yep. And so just the very nature of autograph cards adds some scarcity. Grading as well. Um, the fact that you know now you've got you know a PSA 10 adds scarcity. With, you know oh, that card is more scarce obviously than all of the other cards of that same player that are not graded at PSA 10. So even in a set where you don't have serial number cards mm -hmm. and there is a lot of printing going on having the top end graded cards. And if, it, and, if it's, and if there's a lot of PSA 10, then you can look to you know BGS 10, right? Or you can even try to go get a black label. The, all of these things have put scarcity into the market. And so I think as a result of that, um, cards, you know, if you're buying the right cards is, is a lot uh, safer of a bet. Uh, and, and I think there's a lot of investment potential, whereas I don't think that used to be the case. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, lots of questions on that. We'll, we'll go back into that and kind of the why behind all that. But what, so when you started Sports Card Investor, what was your kind of your your intent behind it then? Yeah, so Sports Card Investor right now is a uh, YouTube show, a podcast, and a uh, website, SportsCardInvestor.com. And the uh, the angle that I took with it. So when you know when I got back into the hobby and I was I started to have these thoughts about sports cars from an investment standpoint, I scoured. Everything that was out there, articles, podcasts, YouTube shows, and honestly, yours was the one that stood out to me the most as taking a as having an investment element to it. Um, and there there are there are a lot of good podcasts about the hobby, um, but most of them are about the hobby. They're they're, you know, fun discussion about, you know, what's going on with new products coming out and 
and you know what different players are doing and that type of thing. They're fun to listen to, but they were there was really no discussion about how prices were moving or where we saw certain players going and whether those players may or may not be a good investment for the future. And I had a thirst for that kind of information. I found your stuff and I really liked you know the the uh, silver prism ladders you do mm-hmm. uh, on your website. I started eating those up and I'm like, this is good content. And I'm like, why is there not more of this type of content in the hobby? Because I think that there is a pool of people that would be really eager to hear more about that side of the hobby. Mm-hmm. And there were just very, other than you, it, it was almost no one was mm-hmm. really broadcasting about that. And so that's what that's what got me, you know, the idea of, hey, let me start a podcast, let me start a blog, let me see, let me start on YouTube and let me see if um, I can build any following here and and see if my hunch is correct that people actually do want to talk about this. Yeah. I mean, I've been watching, yeah, been watching interaction, engagement. I'm assuming you're getting some pretty good vibes, good feedback. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I've only been at it now for a couple of months with yeah. the show and everything. And it's, it, I, I've been really happy with the, uh, with the feedback and with the amount of engagement that I've gotten in a really short period of time. So I, I feel awesome. like, I feel like the theory that there are a lot of people who want to uh, talk about this stuff. I feel like that theory has absolutely been proven true, um, and you know, more and more people are discovering the podcast every day. And uh, you know, I think it's it just kind of continues to to grow. Love it. No, that's great, great stuff. So, so let's talk a little bit then about your strategy to investing in sports cards, because I mean, obviously, your background plays into this. Um, probably tenfold, right? I mean, you, you, you've, you've learned a lot of things over your, your course of your investments and then you're probably trying to apply the strategies. What, what do you, what are you looking to do as you've kind of evaluated the, the marketplace and the sports car world? What are you trying to accomplish when you're investing cars? What's kind of your mindset? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, so I think there's a lot of different ways you can approach investing cards. Um, you know, I think you can, some people like to invest in veterans who are probably going to go in the hall of fame uh you know some people obviously like to invent invest in vintage you know players who have you know obviously historical figures in the sports um you know on the extreme other side some people like to look for quick flips where they can you know find a particularly good deal on ebay or check out my cards and then flip it you know the next day for more um uh and all of these can work for people all of these are are you know can be good philosophies but for me what, what I am focused on is buying players who are within their first three to five years of their career, who I feel like are undervalued. And I am using a data-driven approach. So instead of just solely relying on my personal opinion, like mm-hmm. most people do, yep. I am looking at data sources that are, uh, you know, analytic sources that are projecting uh, players' careers and showing, you know, showing the numbers behind a player's performance. And I am comparing those to players' card prices and trying to find value opportunities. So that is my that is my strategy. My strategy is players in the first three to five years, typically, or two to five years, and then hold those cards for likely between three and five years, um, and then sell at that point. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Um, are you willing to share your sources? Kind of what, what how you approach it. Is it like yeah, Fangraph absolutely. style or you do you go, I mean, I, I'm assuming you got multiple sports or do you focus yep. on a couple sports? Yeah. So right now I mainly focus. So basketball by far is my number one. Okay. Um, and cool. I, I chose that intentionally because I feel like 
basketball is the best sport for an investor to be investing in. Um, I think, uh, you know, I think I think there's several reasons for that, but I think you know the inter- the the fact that the game is international, the fact that yeah. um, two of your very biggest stars in the game right now, Luca and Giannis, are you know bringing an international audience into the game with them. Uh, the fact that in basketball any position be- can become a star. Um, you know, which is completely unlike football or, or baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, basketball has a reduced injury risk compared to football. Um, I think it's a little bit easier to project project career trajectory mm-hmm. in basketball than it is in football or baseball. And then also the fact that basketball is such a star-driven league. And it offers that, you know, that this offseason was amazing uh, from, you know, just from all the player movement and all the publicity basketball the NBA got as yeah. a result. And there was there was so much money to be made with cards this offseason yeah. by simply picking up players before they switch teams. Um, you know, Anthony Davis, everyone knew the guy was going to get traded. That was no secret. That has been talked about for months and months. Yet his card prices, the day he got traded to L.A., went up by 250%, and they've stayed up there ever mm-hmm. since. So if you were savvy enough to pick up several of his you know, Prism rookies uh, while he was on the Pelicans back in you know, April or, or May and then sold them after the news came out of him tra- going to L.A., um, I mean, that was you right there. You would have you would have been up 250 percent. And, you know, and, and we saw we saw, you know, appreciation with some of the other guys that were traded. And so that type of thing can happen every year. So what I really like about basketball cards is even if you if you buy a good player and their team turns out to really not be going anywhere, you still have the opportunity to hold that guy and hope that he makes a, a move in free agency that can then cause the, you know, the card to uh, to spike. Right. Such great advice, not just in basketball, but in baseball too. Right. I mean, when, when you got guys that are like Aquino, right. For the reds, I mean, the guy, the guy's crushing it, but he's playing for Cincinnati. So he's got such limited upside because of that alone. But, um, when, when you're investing in players, you talked about scarcity earlier. Are you, are your tendencies to try to buy base or silvers and, you know, the prison world for basketball with, uh, you know, high grades, or are you trying to find, the low number of autographs and RPAs. What, what's kind of your style? What have you found most? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So that is a challenge that I'm having right now. That I am, I am, I am thinking a lot about. And so here's the challenge: Prism Silver is the is the gold standard of basketball rookie card investing. Yep. I own a lot of Prism Silver. Prism Silver is being overprinted. And I am worried about the long-term implication of Prism Silver's prices holding up. Um, you know, uh, I just read online the other day. I haven't checked PSA card myself, although I might do that as we're talking here. But somebody told me that um, Luca's uh, Prism Silver rookie from this year, PSA 10, ha- was about to reach a thousand in the population count on on uh, on PSA's website. And that scares the heck out of me. Mm. A thousand PSA 10s are floating out there right now of Luca's Prism Silvers, and there are, uh, and there are many more that are still in packs that haven't been opened yet. I mean, you know, we're st- there's still a ton of unopened Prism from this past season. 
um, you know, that how, and, and there's probably a lot that are PSA 10s that have not yet been submitted. Uh, how many are we going to end up with? Are we going to end up with 3,000, you know, uh, you know, 2,000, 3,000 Luca PSA 10 silver prisms? Mm-hmm. Considering those are selling right now for like 600 bucks a pop, that actually makes his National Treasures RPA look like a damn good deal. Because his yep. National Treasures RPA, we know there's only 100 of those total, not even PSA 10, but total, there's only 100 of those, 99, right? Mm-hmm. And those were, I haven't looked recently, but I think they were going for what, 10,000 ish or so. Mm-hmm. So if you do the, if you figure, you know, there's, there's less than 99 of those certainly that are going to grade out anywhere close to a PSA 10. And then you got 2,500, you know, prism silver PSA 10s that are yep. selling for 600 bucks a pop. The math is not favorable there to investing in prism silver. And I am, I am, con- I am concerned. So I am still buying silver prism because that's, you know, market has kind of, settled on as the premium card but um but it concerns me i i would i would rather uh, when the opportunities arise and of course it's it's really expensive to go you know get a national treasures rpa right. um but i would rather buy a serial numbered card like that um just because you know that the you know you know the real story behind it you know the scarcity is is there right yeah, I know that, that's an interesting take, and it's definitely something I've thought a lot about too. I mean, I, I do think in NBA, and maybe you'll challenge me on this, I do think in, in the NBA market there's a lot more people that hoard and hold. Um, you got guys throwing stuff in vaults, and you're not going to see it again. So I think you have to account for a little bit of that in the basketball market where you don't see quite as much as that in baseball and football, especially not in football, maybe a little bit in baseball, um, which is a good thing, right, because that kind of – place the whole scarcity idea but uh but yeah i mean it, you're right i mean you we're, we heard 4x 5x the print run and, and prism last year for basketball and i heard another 4x this year and it's like uh you, you, the market's not growing that fast i can tell you that you know yeah that's that's scary that's scary um and i yeah it's scary i don't know what to say about that other than it's scary yeah but 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 it's it's a great product with an incredible following, maybe the best following of any any base oriented product in all of sports cars. Which I, I totally agree. Because it's a great opportunity for other players. I love I love Prism. I totally agree. I love Prism, and I I I wish that overprinting was not as a concern, particularly with the silver. You know, maybe I don't know, and may, and maybe the answer is to try to invest in some of the, um, you know refactors that are are lowered to lower numbers i yep. mean maybe that's the answer right i mean maybe it's you know obvious you know the blues are what number to 199 and and uh you know some of the other uh, cards obviously then go down from there in terms of the numbering so maybe you're better off doing that than just doing the base uh, or the you know the the you know true prism silver so i just looked on psa's website uh about 5,000 Lucas right now are PSA 10. So not 10,000 like I had heard, but about 5,000. But then you got another thousand plus that are PSA 9. Um, 5,000 so, silvers or 5,000 base? Oh, wait, hold on. That's You're the right. difference. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, let me look. I'm looking right now at base. Let me see where silver is. Yeah, There's so I, many different. Um, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, where's, where's silver on this population website? Um, yeah, sorry, sorry, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, but a thousand thirty-four silvers. Yeah, that's what. I'm sorry, that's what I had said yep, earlier. You I said, said that I had heard that there were a thousand, um, you know, Luca PSA silvers. Uh, 
um, and that that had scared me. And there are, in fact, 1,034 um, Luca PSA silvers that are graded PSA 10 currently. Um, and there are another 433 that are graded PSA 9. So you've got 1,500 Lucas silvers, uh, which are PSA graded. And I, I, who knows how many more are, are BGS graded, right? Hmm. Um, but I mean, God, that print run must have been big if, <laughs> if there's that many, you know, that are, are graded. So, um, yeah, it, it, it does concern me that you got a card in Luca. You, you got a card that's selling for 600 bucks a pop, which mm -hmm. by the way, I, I own 10 of. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I could fall victim to this, but yep. you've got a card that's selling for 600 bucks a pop that there are, you know, over a thousand of, um, that are already out there today, plus possibly another thousand that are still sitting in unopened wax. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so since you're on the site, what does a guy like, what does a guy like Trey Young, how many PSA 10s does he have sitting out there in the pop report? Yeah. Uh, 880. Okay. Yeah. That's... 880 PSA 10 and then 300 PSA nine. So he's got almost 1200 silver and that's silver prism for Trey Young. So he's got about 1200 silver prisms in the population report. So interesting. Okay. A lot yeah. of these things are printed, you know, they're not, they're not as rare as perhaps the, the prices would, would lead you to believe. Right. Interesting. Yeah. That, uh, that does make me want to do some analysis on that, you know, cause I mean, and obviously BGS is a whole heck of a lot smaller in terms of pop reports. And, and I, you know, that's why the, the black labels for BGS and even the 10 pristines, like that's why they get such a good premium. Yeah, you know? and those do add scarcity. I mean, that is one way on a on a card like a silver prism. That's one way to really ensure scarcity is to is to get a pristine ten or a black label because now you are going to deal with a lot smaller of a sample size that will ever you know reach that uh, level. Right, right. What is your um, what is your take on PSA versus BGS in terms of investment? You know. I need to argue with you on this one because I heard uh, a few, you know, a number of episodes ago, you were talking about how you like BGS so much better, and mm -hmm. I like PSA better. Um, I like PSA better. I, I, I agree that if uh, certainly BGS gives you the opportunity to get a pristine grade or get a black label grade, and and if you are so, it gives you upside that PSA doesn't. Mm -hmm. However, those are really hard to come by, um, and. I had heard, and I don't know if this is an accurate stat, but I saw someone on the message board saying that it's like uh, if you've got a BGS, essentially a 9.5 or above worthy card, you've got about a one in 50 chance of it becoming a pristine, which is a 10. So, but if that's true, you got a one in 50 chance that something that would grade as like around a 9.5 actually grades as a 10. Then the premium though, that PSA consist, PSA 10 consistently gets over BGS 9.5, which, you know, it seems to consistently get a, a, a relatively significant premium. What, what do you um, consider consistent? I'm curious. Cause I think the numbers show like no less than 20%. No less than 20% premium. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would, um, I was placing, I, I did some calculations on this a few months ago and I think I had it at like a 23% okay. when I was looking at silver prisms from two years ago, I was looking at silver prisms of some of those rookies like Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, Alonzo Ball, yep. and the uh, PSA 10s, I believe, were going for about 23% more consistently cool. than the BGS 9.5s. Okay. So if the PSA 10 is going to give you a 23% gain, then basically that means that 
yet the, the pristine obviously gets you a much bigger multiple, but the pristine's only like a one in 50 shot. So then to me, that means that PSA is gonna consistently get you more bang for your buck. Now that's assuming that the same card would grade a PSA 10 and a BGS 9.5, which may not always be the case. I think BGS can be a little bit more lenient with the grading. So if you factor in that maybe you have a better shot of getting a BGS 9.5 than you do a PSA 10, then perhaps um, you know that helps the BGS side of the argument, but still with a 23% cost difference, uh, I still think PSA 10 is the way to go, even yeah. even for modern cars. So yeah, that's funny. I just pulled up the BGS report for Luka Doncic on Prism Silvers. What's the number? Um, uh, he has. This is so funny because your PSA 10 was like 1,030 or something yeah. like that. Yeah. 1,046 9.5s. Wow. I mean, we're within like two percent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, BGS 10 Pristines are at 47. And BGS 10 black labels, you're at three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I hear you, Jeff. I do. My, my logic has always been if you are the one submitting for the grade, there is, there's so much more upside and limited risk for you to send a BGS just for the chance of getting a BGS 10. Especially for a card that goes from 600 to $2,000 if you get a BGS 10. Right? If you're sending in a guy like, uh, Lonnie Walker, who is just a $5 difference if you get a BGS 10, you know, maybe it's not worth it. But for a high end like that, to me, it's always been like it, as the as the guy submitting, you got to take a swing for it. Because if you miss and you miss by 20%, but you have a chance of getting 300% or getting lucky enough to get a black label, I mean, why not? Yeah, but but that report you just read, you said there were around, what, like 1,039.5s? And how many pristines did you say there were? There's 47 tens and three black labels. So, yes, you're right. It's 5%. It's 5%. Yeah, it's 5%. It's 5%. So I, I, I hear you, but that 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 extra juice that you're hoping to get, you're only going to get one out of every 20 times. Yet the extra juice isn't 20x more. Like if the extra juice was if a pristine sold for 20 times what a PSA 10 sold for, then, then okay, you know, the math works out there, but a pristine's, a pristine's selling for you know a nice multiple but nowhere near 20. um and so like i don't know it's 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 certainly rolling the dice a bit yes you can you can sometimes get lucky and get the 10 or the black label but it's not very it's it's hard to get those yeah it is it is for sure and i think some of that just comes from if, if you have some expertise and looking at your card and knowing kind of what it's gonna grade for then you could probably save yourself some of the, the headache but yeah, yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's a whole different I, story, right? <laughs> I have not been able to develop that expertise yet, uh, but uh, I know that's. I mean, that's a tough thing. I don't know what the graders look at sometimes, but the, uh, but you know, I think other people. I'm, not, you know, other people have more of an understanding of that and and are more scientific about how sure. they look at cards. I just take a glance at the corners and I'm like, oh, corners look good. This should right. grade a ten. Never right. grades a ten, right? It's like, oh, well, of course, no. This, you know, I. You know, there's some surface defect that you only see under ultraviolet light or, you know, something like that that's holding it back. I don't know. I had the National. I got a card. I had a card that was uh, graded out at the nine and I took it. I I uh, traded it into a dealer. Um, we traded cards and I went back by his booth an hour later and he had it in his display case and he had cracked it out of the case. Um, it was a BG, he was a BGS nine and he had it in his display case, no longer in the BGS nine case. 
So which numbers show that it basically increases value by five percent, right? Yeah. BGS nine to raw goes to nine to five percent. Yeah, and I think he probably thought being at the national that he, um, you know he yeah, and he'd catch somebody who looks at it and is like, oh, I bet I could get this thing to grade for nine five or ten, you know, and and you know maybe thinks they're getting a deal, uh, you know, since they don't know it just graded at a nine. Yeah. That's awesome. That is so. But funny. then again, who knows? Maybe it would grade at a nine five or a ten when they well, resubmit it. You know. Yeah, you know right. <laughs> you know, what? I, ethically, I struggle with that at the beginning. But I mean, look, I, I'm never going to cut cards. I'm never going to get into any of that crazy scamish stuff. But when when you're talking like a half point or even a point, if you just simply wipe down and clean up your surface, if you have a low surface grade and you can crack it out and clean up the surface, then I think you're kind of crazy not to. Right. So stuff that you should have been doing anyway. But yeah, altering yeah. the card, like not not altering the physical state of the card, I think is uh, I don't feel so bad about that anymore. The easiest I'll thing to do that. is is to is to buy it already graded at a nine five or ten. <laughs> exactly, so that's, exactly. That's not have to worry about any of that. So that's that's what I try to do. I I mainly buy graded, um, so that I can avoid the you know that type of uh you know thing. But um. Yeah. Or the surprises from trying to get things graded by myself, but you know, but you know, there's there's money to be made in buying ungraded stuff that grades at gem, you know, that grades at mint. Like if you're able to do that, if you're able to pick out the ungraded stuff and get it to grade really well, then yeah. that that's a that's a great way to go. Yeah, for sure. All right. For those that don't know, BreakerCulture.com, we are focused on analytics, product research, group breaker reviews, and just finding ways to give you that edge in the marketplace. So all these pricing ladders and things that we do are focused on giving you that advantage when you look at products and you're trying to digest and figure out what the best way is for you to spend your money. Okay. Now, we do have a couple of the things that are really important. Number one, if you click on uh, the menu button on your mobile device or on BreakerCulture.com, or if you just go to the very top on BreakerCulture.com on your laptop, your desktop, you'll see a forums tab. The forums tab is our forums at BreakerCulture.com, and uh, we have a few hundred users on there. Um, it's not as active as I'd like it to be, but I, we've invested, reinvested in a, in a nice forums platform for folks to use. Okay, So be sure to use that. I'm going to put a lot of our investment advice up there for folks to uh to take advantage of. Second thing is we post products on our page and these products aren't products that we sell. We post every or most of the products that come out in the market and we uh, we do a quick price check for you. It's a live price gathering. So it pulls prices from a few different sources. And so every time you check that product on breakerculture.com, it'll show you the best price either on eBay, on Amazon, and some of the big box retailers from the hobby. So you don't have to go digging around different sites. You can just simply type in 2019 Bowman Chrome and you're going to see the best prices for you. You can click right there and take you to the site and you can make that purchase. Okay. So um, feel free to use those two resources that we have in breakerculture.com. And as always, use the stuff that we put out, pricing ladders, analytics, all that stuff. Um, because uh, look, we, we make it for you and we'd love to know your feedback and love to know how it's helping you. Anyway, back to the show. So talk a little bit about your target return. I mean, do you, do you have numbers in mind? You kind of, are you, sounds like you're very analytical and data driven. So what is your, kind of your goal when you invest in someone? Yeah, you know, what's interesting. So when you're investing right now, there's two different factors at play, right? One is what is this player gonna do? And 
how is that going to affect the return that you can get on their cards? You know, or is this player going to have a really good next few years and maybe they'll see their card values double or triple or quadruple, you know, unless they obviously in, in the case of a, you know, Patrick Mahomes or a Baker Mayfield, or you can right. get a higher multiple than that. But, you yeah. know, I, I think, I think normally you would be pretty happy with a double to triple, you know, situation over what you bought it for. Um, but then there's also the factor at play of the market in general. And what is the, how are prices on a whole changing? So there's both kind of the microeconomic level of the particular player you bought. And then there's the macroeconomic level of what's happening in the hobby. And I think that the macroeconomic level is something that is is going to have a quite a big effect over the next few years, because my personal view is that the hobby is gonna to continue to get more and more popular and that more and more collectors are gonna come into the hobby. And as a result, we're gonna see a general increase in prices. So even if you had a, bought a player and his performance was just completely neutral for the next few years, I think you are gonna see an increase in that player's price um, simply because the hobby is is going to get more popular and demand is going to exceed supply, at least with players from a few years ago or more. You know, Obviously with this year's stuff, um, that may not be the case because the they're just going to print more of it, right? Um, you know, especially with with you know certain sets like Prism where they can get away with that. Um, but um, you know, with with players from the past when the print runs were a little bit less, um, I think you're just going to see a natural appreciation. So I would you know in general I would say you know I'd love to get you know two x three x type type return, but is it possible to get more than that with with the hobby in addition getting hotter? Possibly. Um, and I, I hope that we see that happen. So are you the type of guy that that you list your cards almost immediately? Or maybe not so not not immediately, but six months after acquiring, you put it on eBay and you have a target price in mind and if you get it, you get it? Or you just wait and you're gonna start selling when you feel the time's right? Yeah, I wanna wait. So with the guys that I'm investing in, I wanna wait to actually hopefully see their performance, you know, increase uh on the court and then, or on the field, and then that to, in turn, start to cause their prices to go up some before I before I put them up there. So, okay. um, you know, I'm trying to buy guys strategically uh, who I think that's going to occur. You know, one guy who I'm really high on right now, and I've t I took some, I talked about this in one of my podcast episodes. I took some serious flack on this because a lot of people call <laughs> me crazy. But one guy who I'm really high on right now is Lonzo Ball. Mm -hmm. I think that, uh, you know, Lonzo Ball's Prism Silvers came way down in price. They were, you know, they were $300 plus cards oh, yeah. uh, for, for a nice graded, you know, a graded PSA 10 or something, uh, you know, a year and a half, two years ago. And those things went sub 100. Those, uh, they're actually back up now to, you know, 150, 160. Um, but they they had gone all the way down, I think at one point, uh, you know, 60, 70 bucks. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he, obviously there was a lot of, he's high draft pick. There was a lot of hype about him pairing with LeBron. LA was completely underperformed last year, but now he's in New Orleans. Uh, now he's paired with Zion, and I think he's got the opportunity to, you know, to be part of that Zion hype train, which is going to be out of control this fall and winter. And I am looking forward to it. I am looking forward to seeing where that thing goes. Oh my goodness! Um, but he's going to get the benefit of that, and then his contract doesn't have that much time left on it. So I think at some point, Lonzo is probably going to get out of New Orleans hopefully go back to a major market, maybe pair with a team that's contending. And I could see him, uh, you know, going on and having having a nice career. And looking at the analytics data, one of the websites that I like to look at a lot 
is 538.com, which is owned by ESPN. It's ESPN's advanced stats and analytics department. Um, and it's run by Nate Silver, who's a very famous statistician, uh, uh, very got very famous by doing very accurate election predictions uh, over the course of uh, several years, other than, by the way, the last election where he actually thought Clinton was going to be Trump. Uh, and he took quite a bit of flack from that. But um, but for the most part, he has been very accurate with his data models, uh, both in elections as well as with sports. So when you're watching ESPN, all of the, um, uh, you know, when they predict this team's got a 77% chance to win the game or anything like that, that's all coming from his group. And he has a, a data model called the Carmelo rankings, which project out the next five years of every NBA player's career. Um, his Carmelo data shows Lonzo Ball as having a better next five years than Donovan Mitchell and being neck and neck with Jason Tatum. And so, you know, everyone looks at Jason Tatum and Donovan Mitchell as these stars of that draft class and their cards are trading for double what Lonzo Balls are currently. Um, I think Lonzo Ball's got the opportunity to, you know, catch up to those guys in card prices, go on and have a very special career. Um, and so out of the three of those guys, I actually like all three of them, but out of the three of those guys, I like Lonzo Ball the yeah. best. No, I, I actually remember hearing it when you had it on. Was it on your YouTube? Yeah, it was on your podcast or YouTube. Yeah, channel. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I, uh, I couldn't argue with it, man. I think it's good logic. I think it's very good logic. I like it a lot. Um, let's go back to your, let's go back to your point you just made about the sports car market in general and how you see tremendous upside over the next six to 12 months, despite what happens Mac at a macro level. Why do you see so much upside in the hobby? Um, I, I think a lot of people are going to get back into it. I, and I think when they arrive back into the hobby, they're going to see what I see, what I saw. And that's that it's, it's, it's a lot better now. And even if you, you're not looking at it from an investment standpoint. It's just more fun now. Like the the cards are so much better produced than what they looked like, you know, when I was collecting as a kid, right? The fact that so many of the cards have autos on them now um, that are, you know, factory uh, verified autos. Um, you know, I love the I love the patches. I know some people kind of hate on, you know, the too much memorabilia on the cards, but like, you know, I get that for the little tiny Jersey swatches on some of the brands. But like when you, when you look at like a, a national treasures or an immaculate and you look at these beautiful patches that they put on the cards, I mean, th those things are, those things are true collectible pieces. Those yeah. are nice things. So I think that the product is better today. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, you've got scarcity in the market today, which you didn't have before. Another big reason why I like the market a lot better today is it's much more liquid. I mean, it, it is a it is a liquid market. You want to sell mm. your stuff, you put it up on eBay, you can have it sold, and you can get your money the next day. You yep. know, um, that was not the case when I was collecting as a kid, uh, and and you know, very very much very much the opposite back then, right? Where you would go get these Beckett price guides, and they would tell you what prices were, but really that was all BS because. Like, who are you actually going to ever sell the card to for the price that the Beckett price guide said? If you if you try to take it into a card shop, they'd offer you like 40 percent of that price if you were lucky, um, you know, and, and so it, all it did was maybe kind of establish a trading value with your friends. And so there was some utility in it there, um, but it it really it wasn't liquid, whereas today, right. you know, the market's very liquid. And so those <clears throat> are so I, I think mm -hmm. what's going to happen is I think that there are a lot more people like me who have young kids who are uh, getting back, are starting to get into the hobby, and you're gonna see their dads, you know, 
buy them cards and look at the cards and go, man, this is pretty cool today. And I remember doing this when I was a kid and it's, it's much better today. And then they're going to see some of the other things that I saw about, Hey, wait, it's actually easy to buy and sell cards now, <laughs> you know, all these other things. And I think that they're going to kind of get hooked. And so I think you're generally going to see, you know, the market increase. I also think that, um, in basketball, I think I think Zion is going to drive the market this fall and winter. And I think that there's going to be a tremendous interest in sports cards uh, because of Zion. Um, and and I think that that is so that's just like another little factor at play that I think is just going to further help, you know, kind of push the market. I mean, people are going to be pulling. I mean, think about that. What do you think? Uh, let me ask you. Let me ask you this. What do you think Zion's National Treasures RPA is going to sell for? when uh when people pull the first ones out of packs what will that be next april mm -hmm. uh, next may what do you think that's going to sell for yeah if, if he's anywhere near as good as he's hyped to be i think 20k it's not even it's not another question yeah i mean luca was what 15 mm -hmm. uh when 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 you know the first ones were sold yep um so you know that's obviously a lot will be dictated by how he does this year right and and so the national treasures obviously doesn't come out to the end of the season but um but yeah i mean it could it could easily be 20k if he if he shows the potential to live up to the hype yeah. um his raw so, silvers are going to be out, out of this world i mean they're yeah. gonna they're gonna be flying off the shelves at six seven hundred bucks each yeah they will be they absolutely will be and um so like so think about that one that, and that's probably a better a better example because that's a more accessible card right? right you can go to walmart or target you can buy a, a cello pack for twelve dollars and 99 cents um and you can walk out of the store you can pop those cards open and you could potentially pull a zion silver that's worth 600 bucks right, right. out of the pack right. or more right or i mean i mean you know really I, I guess you could pull a, a gold you know number to 10 or something and end up with a you know ten thousand dollar card but but realistic but the, the silver is more attainable more realistic and there's a there's a you know real chance you could get one of those um and so i think that that like the high stakes of that thrill that's going to be driven by zion mm. is going to just push more and more people into hearing about the hobby yeah i don't disagree with any of that i I love the liquidity comment because I think if there's anything that grading has helped with most, it's been just the idea of having more liquid assets out there because you've taken the uncertainty and the bias out of buyers and even sellers because you have a third party grading it. And I think that that is what's helped drive liquidity in the market. I totally agree. And I know people are kind of hating on the grading thing right now. There's a lot of negativity around it because of the trimming. And I get that. I mean, that's a mess and that needs to be cleaned up but I am still very high on grading overall. Like I think that the, you know, the grading is such a necessary and important thing for the hobby for that exact reason you just said, um, that it is, it, it, it is here to stay. It needs to be here to stay. The grading companies need to do a better job of trying to, you know, protect against what happened, but right. the hobby needs grading. We need these grading companies to be successful. Um, in my opinion, it's critical. Uh, to, you know, investing in this hobby, uh, working and cards appreciating a value. 100% agree. Yeah, I, I do think we're going to see because of that, we're going to see an even greater gap between raw prices and PSA 10, BGS and I5. I yeah. think it's going to continue. Delta is going to continue to grow. Um, 
as it should. I just think that the smart money is going to be smart, right? They're, they're gonna they're gonna eliminate risk as much as they can. So, yeah, I agree. I agree. And if you're buying cards online, and especially those cards are expensive, I mean, I I always prefer graded because you it it it, it ensures a quality of product, mm -hmm. and you just don't ever know. No matter how good the photos are online, you right. never quite know what that card's gonna look like. And, and if you're gonna if you're gonna drop some serious cash on a card, that is a really scary thing, uh, you know, to be buying a non-graded card that you aren't able to see in person. Yeah. Yeah, one of my questions to you was gonna be about risk and how do you, as an investor, how do you eliminate and protect yourself a little bit? How do you hedge? Yeah, I mean, I think, it, I think you can control, that's one thing I like about card investing is you can control risk based upon what, what category of cards you're gonna put your money into. So mm -hmm. I think if, if you want to, if you think the market in general is gonna appreciate, but I'm not willing to take a lot of risk, then buy a bunch of Hall of Famers or guys who are, buy a bunch of guys who are retired or guys who are late in their career. Buy your, buy LeBron. Yep. You know, LeBron is probably going nowhere but up. And honestly, whether he wins another ring or not, it's not going to really make a whole lot of difference to his card prices one way or the other. I'm sure it'll help a little bit if he, you know, wins another ring. But one thing I thought was really interesting, I was looking at Tom Brady's card prices. I just did a little analysis of those. And he saw very little bump after this last Super Bowl, almost none. Um, you know, he won another Super Bowl, yet his card prices didn't really change. They changed less than like 5% mm -hmm. based on the cards that I was looking at. And why? Because he's already been established. He's already proven everything he has to prove. He's already been established as perhaps the greatest quarterback of all time, if not one of the greatest. And no matter whether he had won or lost that Super Bowl, it wasn't going to change the overall feeling about his career. And so obviously he's a he's an extremely safe investment you know the same way lebron is and then you know if you look or you could look to you know guys who are retired like obviously jordan or you know somebody like that um you know a couple people have uh written me and said hey analyze players that are retired but yet but have not yet gone into the hall of fame but are going to go into the hall of fame and could you look at what what their cards do like looking at past guys once they actually get into the hall of fame and yep. i think i i haven't looked i'm going to do that for a future episode i think that's a great question um you know what are what are you know how does getting to the hall of fame and actually getting up there on the stage and how does that uh, affect you know card prices so you know look at some of those types of guys because then you're really just simply betting on the market, on their remaining interest in the hobby overall. Obviously, if the economy turns south and interest in card collecting overall falls off, then you could get hurt with those cards as well. But as long as that scenario doesn't happen, I think uh, you know those are going to be your your safest uh, sure. investments, right? Um, and you know the stuff that I'm doing, where I'm buying cards of guys who are you know two years into the league three years into the league, and I'm, I'm pro projecting that they're gonna have a good career, so I'm buying them at a low price, that is riskier, right? Because if they don't pan out, um, you know, that that card may go nowhere. Right. Um, you know, it's it's. I think it's less risky in the NBA than perhaps like baseball prospecting. Um, I, think, I think there you're probably getting into your riskiest form of investment when you're buying all of, you know, all of these uh, minor leaguers. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's a real roll of the dice. Um, and I, you know, I, res I respect the guys who do that. I have not gotten into that yet because uh, I see that as uh, I see I see buying, you know, younger basketball players as as lower hanging fruit, frankly, uh, you know, a, a little safer than than trying to trying to go that route. Hmm.
Interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know I like prospecting, so prospecting baseball. I just talked hey, to Hey, like, <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure it is addictive. And, um, you know, I was on a, uh, the blowout forums the other day, uh-huh. and there was, there was a, there's this thread that has been resurfaced recently where uh, back in 2017, this guy told the blowout forums, he's like, hey, there's this guy named Dakuna. Uh, you guys should all go buy his cards because this guy uh, looks like he's going to be amazing. And, and then there are like 10 posts right below from 2017 that are like his cards are already like yeah. higher than they, than they ever will be again. Right. He's he just, 16. Sell, yeah. Just sell those cards. It's ridiculous hype. He's never going to live up to it. This is another prospect to, you know, everyone's hyping and no one's ever going to hear about ever again, sell his cards. And so it's so funny looking at that now. So if you were that guy who posted to blow out forums, you know, back then, like you got to be feeling pretty damn good about yourself. I hope you've actually bought a lot of his cards. No so, doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Uh, I respect yeah. I respect you for for you know baseball prospecting. It's it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a man it's a man's game to do that to take that type of risk. Yeah, but with that said though, I mean it more so than ever. There's there's so much analytics to back up your theories or to disprove sure. your theories now. I mean you I mean really quickly you can start isolating certain players who are much less riskier than other players just based on basic statistics. You know you you didn't have that ten years ago. That's true. You know, so That's true. you can you can take some of the guesswork out a little bit, but yeah, you're right. For for every one of the uh, Ronald Acuna juniors, though, there's ten others that completely flopped. Yeah. So yeah. well, that's what makes it fun. Um, I I will add one more comment about just the overall market. I think, uh, like I said, I, I agree with everything. I think you're spot on. I think it's really good logic. Um, I think Gary V's logic around a lot of the sneaker heads moving over to sports cards. It's kind of where that money's coming from. Um, I guess I don't disagree with that, but I, I think more so in play is that we're, we're so much in an era of fan duel, fantasy sports, uh, try to make a buck on a player type mindset. Now sports gambling, so it's legal, you know, many more states. I think now that sports cards have become an asset class in a lot of people's minds, that's what's going to continue driving this hobby, you know, because now, now people don't have to just log on an app and have some sort of, you know, invisible guy on a team, you can actually hold something and say, you know what, if the guy performs well the next couple of weeks, this, this thing right here increases in value. And I think, yeah, that, I, uh, I 100% NBC agree. Is, is in, in live and full swing in, in sports cards. I 100% agree. I, I love that take. I think you're, I think you're dead on. Absolutely. I mean, it's, and I, I, I love playing fantasy sports. I'm, you know, I drafted a, uh, fantasy football team last night i'm gonna draft one tonight but <laughs> i will like the three you could achieve the same thing by buying the cards of the guys who who you would otherwise think about drafting on your fantasy football team and holding them over the course of the season and selling them at the end of the season you could achieve essentially the same effect as if you were you know picking their picking the roster of fantasy players at the beginning of the year and yet you have something that's tangible and you have something that's going to have some form of value at the end of the season now whether those guys are going to go up or not who knows but um they're also not going to drop to zero uh so you know it's it's uh it's you know it's 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 probably you, 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 I think you can stand to make more money, you know, in the sports card game than you can in the daily fantasy sports game or the fantasy football game. If you're, if you're treating it as a money-making endeavor, that would be, that would be incredibly fun 
to have a competition amongst some of us to each get a hundred bucks to build your fantasy team of 10 players and see who appreciates the most by the end of the season. That would actually be a lot of fun. I like that. We should you can do pick it. Any, yeah, pick any. I'm in. You want to organize it? I'm in. Let's do it. All right. We'll, we'll figure out a way to do that. We'll see if we can get some people involved. <laughs> That'd be really fun. Just like, just basically mark their eBay price as of, you know, the day the season starts or, yeah. you know, the day we do the draft or whatever. And then, and then see what they're selling for right when the year ends. I love it. That's cool. We, we'll figure something out there. Um. Awesome. I feel bad for all the guys who own Andrew Luck. Goodness. <laughs> oh my gosh. No kidding. What do you think? What do you think about that? I mean, there's, there's a lot of hot takes on that and I don't want to go down that path, but I mean, what was your, what was your initial reaction to that? I was surprised. I mean, I, I was, I was surprised. Um, you know, I, I, obviously he's dealt with a lot of injury issues and, and, uh, he had this little plaguing thing going on this off season, but I, I never got the impression for watching, you know, any of the ESPN coverage or anything that it was serious to the point where it could drive him to do something like this. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty shocked. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I actually put out a Twitter poll this morning on my Twitter to say, what's the, what's the better investment right now? Um, buying Jacoby Brissett, which of course has become a really popular move in the last 24 hours, <laughs> um, or buying luck, uh, whose card prices, by the way, have have dropped uh, from what I saw this morning, about 500 percent. I saw a guy sell a contenders that would have yielded about uh, one of his contenders rookie ticket autos that would have yielded about two thousand bucks a week ago. And it went it went on eBay yesterday for four hundred bucks, um, sold oh, at four hundred bucks. And so. You know, so I put the question out there: Is it a better time to buy Brissett, or is it a better time to buy Luck, and hope that you get a, a comeback in Luck's future, or maybe you just get some appreciation as people begin to appreciate his career? I don't yeah. know. What are your thoughts on it? Um, what would you do if you had a thousand bucks to spend? What would you do? I think I would buy Andrew Luck, um, yep. just because Jacoby Brissett is so unproven, and when he was a starter, you know, what two years ago they were, they were what four and twelve or five and eleven, I think, or something like that. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. um, I think I would buy luck, but, uh, but you know, I, if luck doesn't come back and it did not sound like he was going to come back, like it did not sound like he was going to come back. I don't know that his cards are ever really going to appreciate as fans, you know, appreciate him more because he didn't play long enough or he wasn't healthy enough to, to get any consideration for the hall of fame or to have ever made, you know, a, a super bowl or anything of that nature. So it's a very incomplete career. Mm -hmm. um, and Agreed. so, you know, ah. Yeah, you, you're 100% betting on him returning. Yeah. I feel like if you invest now. Yeah. Um, and I mean. I also, I also yeah. tossed a buy a Marlon Mack as an option up there because I was like. The Colts seriously. Have, they, they may have to run the ball a lot. But actually, <laughs> no I'm looking at the poll right now. Uh, the four choices I gave were buy Brissett, which is 20% of the vote, vote buy Luck, uh, for a comeback, which has 24% of the vote, uh, buy Marlon Mack, which has 4% of the vote. And then my fourth choice was sell all cult, sell all Colts cards and run. <laughs> and that has a uh, 51% of the vote. So the people have spoken. The people have spoken. I'm retweeting that right now. Cause I'm curious. I want to see what, I want to add some numbers to that. That's uh that's a, that's a great question. Sell all Colts and run. <laughs> my gosh. So good. Um, so other than basketball, then what, uh, what sport do you feel like has the most upside? So I'll be honest, I don't, I have not gotten into baseball enough. And so, I mean, the answer is, the answer is 
probably baseball, but I I feel uh, I only want to invest in cards if I feel like I've really done my homework and understand it and have done, you know, have looked at data and have done a lot of due diligence. And I am not there yet with baseball. Um, I probably will be at, you know, at some point in time. Um, but, um, uh, you know, I, I, I have focused, I, I, and I think this is a, a lesson from business focus on what you're best at, mm. you know, pick a niche and focus on that niche and don't try to, don't try to be all things to all people. Mm-hmm. Don't try to get into, don't try to get into too many areas. Pick one thing that you're best at and one niche that you can explore and go into and go deep. You're better going deep in one area than you are going wide and doing a lot of different things. And um, so with sports card investing right now, I'm deep in basketball and I'm, you know, somewhat deep in football. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I haven't gotten into baseball yet because I can't unless I'm really going to commit myself and go deep with it. Um, so but, you know, I know obviously baseball is the, still the most popular type of card to collect. And I know a lot of. Uh, you know, people have a lot of investment interest around baseball. So, um, and I, I'm going to do some baseball episodes. I'm just going to have to pair up with some, some people right now who know the sport <laughs> a lot better than I do. Um, but, um, yeah, uh, you know, and, I get and, it, and, man. yeah. And so that's my thing. So I, for me, it's, it's, I, I'm looking at football, but in football, I'm really only looking at uh quarterbacks. Right. Mm. I think, I think, uh, I think running backs are risky, Obviously, you know, uh, short careers, injuries, all that kind of stuff. I was amazed. This is this is quite the statistic, by the way. Saquon Barkley. Mm-hmm. I was looking at his card prices before the season last year. His contenders' college ticket auto, college ticket, because uh, you know, before the season starts, all that's out mm-hmm. is you know a few sets, right? And contenders' college ticket being one of those sets. His card was selling for five twenty-five, uh, for his college ticket auto before the season started. When the season ended, he was he was the number two production guy in all of the NFL last year, right behind Patrick Mahomes. And that particular card, when the season ended, dropped from five hundred and twenty-five bucks to three hundred and seventy-five bucks. And his on-field performance exceeded everybody's expectations. Mm-hmm. Yet the price of the card fell. Um, which tells you something about do not invest in rookie cards of releases early in the season, particularly releases where the players are in their college jerseys, um, you know, right when they come out. Because no matter how good that guy does on the field that year, his prices are going to drop. And Saquon Barkley is, is, you know, is the number one example of that. And I, I think you know, I think part of that is because, well, I think most of that is because over the course of the season, there were so many more types of cards that were released, including all of his cards in his NFL jersey. Mm-hmm. And so by the time the end of the year came around, there was a lot of supply of his cards, where at the beginning of the season, there was very little supply and a lot of demand. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah. So, uh, but, any, you know, regard, that's just one little note about him. But, um, but in general, quarterbacks is where I'm looking and trying to find guys who are uh, I was looking at some of the rookies this year and trying to find uh, rookie quarterbacks who I think have a chance to be to have a really good NFL career, but are um, are not one of the top guys. So their card prices are, are you know, really low because they're kind of under the radar. Yep. Um, you know, not not your Kyler Murray's. Obviously, uh, he may have a great NFL career. I hope he does. But his his cards are already reflective of him, you know, having a, at least a good NFL career. 
Um, but like a guy like a Will Greer, who I like a lot, um, his cards are a lot lower. Or a guy like a Ryan Finley, who I've been on, who I was on really early before the preseason started, and uh, and and actually hit a great preseason. And I would not be surprised if the if the uh, Cincinnati fans, uh, you know, cheer loudly enough to get him into the a starting role you know, within the next uh, year or two. Yep. Um, so, you know, a guy like him, uh, his cards were nothing uh, a couple months ago. They've gone up a little bit now, but they're still low. And there's a lot of opportunity, I think, for someone like that. Interesting. So fun fact for you. So football, so we did this analysis on wax prices for all football cards, and then we did one for basketball, which we haven't put out yet, but it's it's done. For football cards, you mentioned contenders draft picks. It, w- it has the fourth highest wax increase since release in all football card products. Fourth, hi- fourth highest fourth. wax increase. What does that mean? So Are from fa- from factory price to current market price. Biggest delta. For but, the... but okay. keep going. It has the second. No, it has the seventh lowest average card per price rank. It. And, and, and it has a 30th, 30th out of 45 uh, in, in average volume for the product, uh, which tells me, and, and this is this is the case for all collegiate products. We, all, I mean, I'm, I'm in the same boat with you. Like, you better be flipping quick if you're getting collegiate stuff when it comes out because it doesn't hold its resale value. But was blown away by almost all collegiate project products do really well when you hold them sealed outside of like flawless collegiate. Um, except in basketball, when you hold when you hold collegiate products in basketball, they do not do well. That's wild. Isn't so it wild? Wa- so sealed wax appreciated while the actual cards inside, yep, never reached you know very high value levels in your in your analysis. Yeah. Huh. Weird yeah. phenomenon there. I don't I don't quite have an explanation for that. Yeah, I, I haven't been able to put my finger on it either, but. Uh... Now I did buy even so even though I am not so I am not generally a fan of the you know collegiate cards for for the you know very fact that as your survey showed they're you know typically the cards themselves don't hold a lot of value particularly when the cards uh, in the players you know actual pro jerseys come out but <laughs> Zion Mania I did pre-order two cases of Contenders Draft basketball which Beautiful. comes out comes out next week i believe mm-hmm. yeah um and um my plan with those is to get them as early in the morning from the card shop <laughs> that uh that th- that they'll let me that day to go home to rip every single pack open mm-hmm. and by that night <laughs> to have anything of substance or value on ebay that is my plan and i'm it's going to be an experiment to see how uh, to see, you know, what type of return you can make ripping wax and selling it off like that. If you're first to market or at least early to market, um, you know, with a product like that. And I would normally not do that, but with Zion mania upon us, um, you know, it, it, I wanted to do it first of all, just as an experiment, because I'm hoping, obviously who knows what I'm going to pull in terms of Zion. Right. But I'm hoping I pull some Zion and I'm hoping I pull something good, but who knows, right? I'm, I only bought two cases. You never know. Um, but it, it's, so I'm doing it partially as like an experiment to see, can I pull a Zion? Can I put them up there? And then what, what the heck's he going to sell for? You yeah. know, if I, if I, if I'm the first 
to get him on eBay, and I may not be. Other other people may end up with the cards a day or two before I get them. But if I could be one of the first to get one of those up on eBay, what's that going to look like? Um, so I'm I'm really curious to do that. And then and then honestly, I'm also just kind of partially doing it for fun because oh, I think heck it's, yeah. it's going to be fun going Zion hunting for uh, for a day there. Oh, for sure. I did the same thing last year. I opened eight hobby cases of draft picks basketball. Nice. All nice. in search of Luka Doncic. I pulled one yep. Luka Doncic auto out of all those. <laughs> but the, the big time play there is, right, you get the cracked ice auto. Yeah. And, and then the world just explodes at that point. Yes. You know? right. Yeah, the first cracked ice. Oh, that'll be an interesting guessing game. What will the first cracked ice Zion auto go for next week when it hits eBay? Yeah. Um, I, I have no idea what it's going to go for, but but it will be it certainly will be interesting to watch his his couple of cards from the you know from the national you probably saw, but they his one of ones from the national VIP packs went for like what five or six thousand bucks. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. Yeah, the thing with the the draft pick stuff that I guess you kind of don't think about is a guy like Zion Williamson in a Duke jersey. It's a whole lot different than a guy like Michael Porter Jr. in a, in a Mizzou jersey, right? There's just a there's just so many more followers of you know so many more Duke fans than Missouri Tiger fans. Where that that's gonna come, to, yeah. That's gonna play into it as well. It's gonna help kind of prop that value up a little bit longer. Well, especially in that example, because I don't even think Porter Jr. really was ever in a Missouri ju- jersey, right? <laughs> Unfortunately <laughs> don't for you. Me. Come on, <laughs> you had to go there. Unbelievable. <laughs> hey, we had Sorry two and a half that. games, man. Yeah, they were a good two and a half games. You know? <laughs> Enjoy while you got it. Um, so good. No, but that's a that's a great point, Ty. You know, Zion was followed all around by the national TV cameras. Uh, you know, when he was with Duke, right? They had the they literally had the Zion cam last March Madness, and so so many people got exposed to that, that guy in a Duke jersey and Duke yep. being a really popular team. That you're right, maybe that actually won't um, you know hurt him because honestly. <laughs> What's the allure of him being in a Pelicans jersey? Like, is that is that really exciting? <laughs> What's the bigger? Who's the bigger brand, Duke yeah. or the New Orleans Pelicans? Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. That's that's actually a really good point. Uh, if only those were on card. Gosh darn it. Yeah, yeah, but that would be nice. Hmm. Well, man, we could talk about this stuff all day. It's obvious. Uh, we're gonna do some rapid fire, but where, where can folks find you? Where, uh, where can we catch your podcast? Give us yeah, so um, my website sportscardinvestor.com. And if you go to my website, sportscardinvestor.com, it, you can click off to my videos on YouTube. Um, my YouTube channel is called Sports Card Investor, um, but you can you know find it that way as well. But my website links you directly to the YouTube channel or the podcast. Or um, I also started, by the way, a Discord server, um, which is you know an online chat server, totally free to join. Um, and it's a sports card investor discord server for people who are into investing in cards to, uh, join and chat, uh, totally again, totally for free. Um, we've had some really good conversations on there. I, I only set it up about a week ago and, um, are, already have around a hundred people who have joined so far, um, awesome. and have had some nice conversations. So it's good, good place to hang out. Beautiful. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, you, uh, you know your stuff, man. It's really, really a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate you. Well, you do time. too, Ty. You do, Ty. You do too. And and I appreciate, as I said earlier, I appreciate the uh, the service you have done for the hobby because you know, as I said, when I was searching around for people who knew sports card investing, you were you were one of the few that really popped on the radar. And I I love reading your prism silver ladders every time they come out. So thanks for <laughs> thanks for. I, I know that stuff's a ton of work, and I know I know it's a you know a, a passion of love 
you know, more so yep. than uh, any type of money-making interest. So I, uh, I appreciate you doing that. Yeah, you got it. You got it. All right, here's a few questions for you. Favorite Shark Tank member? Uh, you know, I actually love Shark Tank. I geek out on Shark Tank. It's as an investor myself, it, you know, it's a, it's a little bit contrived. Uh, you know, it's 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 normally not quite that simple that you would walk into a room and you know pitch your product for ten minutes and walk away with money. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's a great show, and the actual pitches. I, I I know a couple people who work on the show, and they actually said that some of those actual pitches in person, they'll they'll easily take all of them will take over an hour. A lot of them are like an hour and a half or two hours, and oh, they wow. just condense it down to ten minutes for the episode. Um, so um, you know that, and that makes it a little more real. Right. Um, but um, who do I like the best? Um, probably Mr. Wonderful, just because he's so damn entertaining on TV to watch. <laughs> I think he he offers the worst deals, you know, most of the time. Right. Um, but he's, he's probably the most, uh, the most entertaining guy. Okay. All time favorite business book. All time favorite business book. Um, so an easy one to put out there that's become super popular in recent years. That's easy for people to get behind is, uh, Simon Sinek's start with why, mm. um, you know, it's, it's a book about finding your, your kind of your personal calling and your personal vision and then relating that into a business that you're starting. So that's a great one. My favorite author is Seth Godin, mm. and uh, I, I didn't pick him for one individual book only because he has so many, and they're all really, really good. Um, if you are in a business or getting into a business, and are and you have to a big aspect of that is you have to think about how to market yourself, how to position yourself, how to stand out from the crowd. I would totally recommend reading a bunch of Seth Godin stuff because it is great. Yeah, uh, really, really great. Okay, that's good. Good stuff. What's your biggest investment miss? Oh, that's a good story. I um, I lost almost a million bucks, uh, investing. Well, starting it was a company. It was a company that I started, um, and uh, it was a, uh, it was a, it was an online, uh, virtual football world for kids. I launched this thing. I built it. I worked on this thing for two years. I got. I pitched the idea. To Steve Spurrier, Charlie Weiss, Phil Fulmer, Pete Carroll, and Barry Switzer, I got all five of them on board, and I created five online-themed football worlds for kids. Oh my! I literally, goodness. it was literally CampPete.com, uh, which was in association with Pete Carroll. Uh, I went to I went to L.A. I spent a whole day with Pete Carroll, filmed a bunch of video with him, got his input on the design of the game. Uh, helped kind of customize his version of the world with his input. Same exact thing with Steve Spurrier, spent a day with him. Same exact thing with Phil Fulmer, spent a day with all these guys and uh, and, and and shot a bunch of video, put it into the world. It was so much fun and it was also a total, total flop in the marketplace. Um, <laughs> kids, kids, kids did not flock to it the way that I had envisioned in my head that kids were gonna flock to it. And, it was a there were there's a million reasons for that and that's probably a whole nother episode but um <laughs> it was a uh you know it was a it was a big lesson learned and a big amount of money lost um and i learned a lot of things from that one that i would never make those mistakes again in another business um one one probably the most the biggest lesson was i spent two years on this thing before i put it out to market and had wow. people had people starting to really use it and trying to sell them you know subscription to it and that kind of stuff and you should never ever ever work on a business idea in a vacuum for longer than in my opinion like 
90 days hmm. uh, without putting that in front of customers and trying to get some initial sales because you never know, no matter how good you think your idea is, you never know if you actually have a good idea until until you put it in front of customers and they start telling you if you have a good idea with their wallet, not with their opinion, not with you asking, you know, grandma, gra you know, your grandma or, or Uncle Joe, if they like your business idea, you know, or not. It none of that matters until you put it in front of a customer and that customer has to take out their wallet and buy your thing. You have no idea if you have a good business idea or not until that point in time. So the quicker you can get to that point in time, that is the that is how you succeed. Waiting two years in development and production and planning and strategy until you get to that point in time, that's how you end up making the biggest business mistake of your life. Phenomenal advice. I wish you were more passionate about this. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite sports movie? Oh, Field of Dreams. I love Field of Dreams so much awesome. that I actually went to Iowa to the field. Um, and, and had a catch uh, on the field with a friend of mine. That's so <laughs> I was, good. I love that movie. Awesome. Uh, and then last question, you got to be the CEO of any non-sports brand. Which brand do you want to be the CEO of? CEO of a non-sports brand, man, that's a good question. Um, you know what I would be? I would 100%, I would take over Twitter because oh, I, wow. think, I think Twitter is a wonderful platform that is so powerful and so needed. Um, and I also, th I also think it's, it's misunderstood by a lot of people. It's, and I think it's got this, it's got this bad rap. And I also think that the, like, they, I don't, they can't figure out how to make money on it, right? <laughs> they can't figure out how to get the advertising going and how to, uh, how to really make money on the whole thing. So you know, and they've had all these issues on there with, you know, they have issues with, um, you know, uh, you know, people hating on other people on the platform and all this negative stuff around it. Yet, I think the platform is so great and has so much potential to really be something special. I would love to take Twitter over and to try to fix that. Would you increase the character limit? <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. Now that they've already taken it up to what, 280, it right. used to be 40. 140 was a little bit tight. Yeah. Um, but no, I appreciate the the shortness of the character limit. I actually think that's really important because mm. I think uh, brevity um, is 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 important. Like people being able to get thoughts out there quickly and then be able to consume a lot of thoughts in a short period of time, um, as opposed to reading longer form pieces of content that you might find on a blog or something like that. So I, I actually think that's I actually think that's important. Love it. Awesome. Great answers, man. Great conversation. Seriously, it was it was really nice having you on the on the show. Thanks so much. It was great to catch up with you, Ty. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's it's. I appreciate being on here and uh, want to continue to catch up in the future. And hopefully, we can meet up at uh, I don't know the national next year or, or something else coming up because I'd love to get together sometime. Hopefully before then, but we're gonna start a little fantasy football card card yes competition. We'll we'll I'll figure that out after we get off. Let's this. let's do it. I like it. <laughs> All right, man. Have a great week. Take care, Ty. Bye. All right, there you have it. Episode 68 in the books. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to go fill out a review for Break Culture Weekly on your favorite podcast app, and we'll be drawing a random username uh, on the uh, intro of episode 69 here in a few days. We'll be shipping off a nice box of Donner's Optic Baseball, brand new 2019 Optic Baseball. Okay, have a great week. Thanks for listening.